0: and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hello. And today, we wanted to talk about headlines, news headlines, um, you know, and making decisions based on what we see from those headlines you can expect to see a lot of headlines especially as we close out to close out the year particularly on the tax side of things with the upcoming expected changes to the tax code as of this recording the the new tax code hasn't been finalized yet but who knows maybe by the time this is released in what probably december um we might have some more clarity and it seems like every time a new headline comes out it, it's it, it changes what uh, what's to be expected so I think, you know, a couple themes here today is, is, is just to be cautious with uh, reading too much into headlines without getting the full story or having complete information. Uh, one example that I can think to recently, Social Security. Seems like every year we get headlines about Social Security and the issues surrounding it, but maybe a couple months ago, um, there was a headline that said, the Social Security Trust is expected to be depleted by 2033. And for people who are you know, near or even in retirement and uh, claiming on Social Security or planning to claim on it at some point here in the next five to ten years, that can be a pretty startling headline. You think, holy smokes, there's not going to be Social Security in a decade or so. Um, that could be problematic for me and my retirement dreams. But the headline doesn't give all of the information. Yeah, I even had several people reach out to me asking if they need to be concerned and if, if there was any action they should take, if, should, if they should start claiming early. You know, starting filing for Social Security early has a, a bunch of uh, uh, drawbacks. You know, for one, your benefit that you receive will be smaller than if you wait. Every year that you wait, the amount you receive in per year increases by about 8%, um, and then after age 70, it doesn't increase at all, so no point waiting past 70 but if you start collecting benefits before your full retirement age, which for most of you listening is age 67 currently, um, if you're still working and earning income, they tax your Social Security uh, $1 for every $2 of earnings above the threshold, which the threshold's like nineteen thousand a year. So if you're earning more than nineteen thousand a year, and you start collecting Social Security benefits before you're sixty-seven, you're probably not going to actually see any of those checks. So it's a big waste. So in short, wait. You know, wait until you're at least not working anymore. Um, and if if you know, it potentially, could even make sense to wait till age seventy, depending on your circumstances, because that's when the largest benefit will be. But back to the headlines, you know, it says Social Security is going to be gone by 2033. Well, that's not really true. It's just the trust fund that is a reserve to pay benefits will be zero. We still have workers working and paying into Social Security, and it's estimated that that alone will be enough to cover about 75% of the promised benefits. So not a big drop-off. And, you know, a few minor tweaks could right the ship. Yeah, you could change the age people can claim. Maybe increase the the tax rate or the amount of income that's taxed. Right now, you don't pay social security taxes on income earned above like one hundred forty thousand, something somewhere around there. So for most doctors, one thousand forty two. There we go, <laughs> one hundred forty two thousand. Um, one forty two. Yeah. So you know, most doctors they've fully paid up their social security for the year by the spring, and uh, you know some are. At the you know, late summer, at the latest, for a lot of you. But um, you know, and then you, you, know, you, you might notice, now that I mentioned this, that partway through the year, you might see your take home pay go up a little bit if you're on a fixed salary. And then in January, you get a pay cut because your Social Security kicks back in again. Um, you know If they just raise the wage base, maybe make it on 100% of your income, that would bring in a lot of extra revenue. to to pay a lot of
0: extra revenue
1: Yeah. yeah so there's a lot of adjustments they could make you know social security has been amended over the years the last major change was back in the early 80s when social security faced insolvency surprise it's happened before and you know they made a few tweaks to basically what the current system is and i think probably the most impressive thing about it is back in 1983 when they last made those adjustments It was uh, projected that the trust fund would run out of money by the mid 2030s, which is pretty spot on, Um, which, you know, pretty impressive. They could make a 40 or 50 year long prediction and be pretty darn accurate. So they they knew what was coming Um, and, you know, wouldn't be surprised if sometime within the next decade we see some other adjustments to Social Security like we did 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think long story short, you can't make decisions based on headlines that are predicting what happens 10 years from now when so many things could change between now and then. Like they just, they can, they will. And also like the headlines themselves don't tell you everything. Read the details. Those are very important as well. And, and don't jump to conclusions. The other thing is that like we're talking a lot about what makes sense based on Social Security potentially going bankrupt, but there's lots of other things that you need to take into consideration with your personal financial situation as well. Like, it's not just that. It's about your life expectancy. It's about, like, what your other sources of income all all of those kinds of things. So don't jump to conclusions and make decisions based solely on headlines.
1: Absolutely. And the goal of this episode isn't to talk about Social Security as just an example, but it's more to... To focus on headlines and also, you know, uh, point number one A or one B is just our brains are, are funny. They like to take shortcuts. It basically keeps us alive, more or less. You know, it, it, we make decisions on autopilot subconsciously. Um, you know, I mean, think if you just had to think through every single decision you make throughout the day, you'd be exhausted before breakfast. You know, all right, how do I roll out of bed? You know, what. You know, f- do I put my right foot in the slippers or my left foot in first? You know, do I walk to grab a drink of water or go to the bathroom? You know, like e- like turn on the light with my right hand or my left. Hand? Like every single action you take, there's a decision involved in it. So, you know, our brains take shortcuts, just jump to conclusions quickly. Um, you know, a lot of that is just survival mechanisms since humans were, I guess originated back in the day you know, right, is that a, in the wild you know, is that a lion <laughs> hiding behind that bush or just a gust of wind um and then greed too is another emotion you know fear and greed are probably two you know big emotions that that help and plague a lot of us you know when it comes to survival they're very beneficial when it comes to investing they can be very detrimental you know i think warren buffett we love some of his quotes, one of his great ones is be, uh, fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. So, and, uh, you know, media companies know very well the how to tap into those emotions. That's why most headlines you see are, you know, very clickbaity and, you know, try and scare people or cause alarm because it'll incentivize us to click like, Ooh, this is concerning. I need to read this article. What's this about? And, uh, yeah, you know, they don't have your best interests at heart. They're just trying to, to, to capture your eyeballs. Um and, and so they can sell more ad revenue. But I think you know, a big um uh or do you want to jump to this example, Rochelle, and then I can walk through the next sure. part. I feel like I've been talking too yeah, much. Yeah,
0: I think No, it's all right. (laughs) I think some of this comes from a, a blog post that Corey wrote recently. So it's near and dear to his heart, for sure. But he had one really good example in the blog, and it was about like a bat and a ball. And you can talk about the cost of things together and try to guess like what your brain's going to do to predict what those costs look like separately. So if I and walk through this with me while we talk about this, try to do this in your head. But if you say that you could buy a bat and a ball together and the cost is a dollar and ten cents, and then the bat costs a dollar more than the ball, how much do you think the ball costs? And, like what does your brain do automatically? It assumes like the bat costs a dollar and the ball costs 10 cents when in reality like a dollar is not a dollar more than 10 cents it's only $0. 90 cents more than than 10 cents and so your your brain creates these shortcuts and tries to get to answers quickly to save time but that's not always the best way to approach things especially when we're talking about numbers which a lot of finances is very number based so if you take the time to work through it you realize that the correct answer is that the ball costs five cents and the bat costs a dollar and five cents, which is that dollar more. And this is actually an example from a, a really cool book called Thinking Fast and Slow. If if any of you have ever read it, it's, it's great. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to give it a try. Um, but there are some really good examples of how your brain functions and how it's designed to dump, jump to conclusions to, to create some efficiencies, but really that efficiency can be costly sometimes there's there's oftentimes when it makes sense to, to take a slower approach.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, great book uh, by Daniel Kahneman and based on his research that he did Nobel Prize winning research with Amos Tversky um, and uh, you're kind of one of the founding fathers of, of what's now known as behavioral economics. And uh, yeah, the, the whole – kind of the, the premise within this book is our brains have two systems, system one and system two. System one is that quick thinking, um, you know, the balls cost 10 cents – Um, You know, we just jump to conclusions without actually doing the calculation. That's what enables us to make decisions on the fly and get through our day without getting exhausted because otherwise we'd have to think through every little thing and and it just wouldn't work out for survival. Um, You know, system number two, that's the one where you have to actually consciously like put to work and you, you often have to override your system one in order to let system two do its thing. And that's the slower, more methodical that enables you to do the the math. Um, you know, one plus one system one can handle that pretty quickly. 27 times 46, like you're going to have to think through that and let your system two do those calculations and maybe get out a pen and paper if you don't want to use the calculator. Um, so system two is what's going to let you figure out that the ball costs five cents in, in that math equation because you actually have to do the numbers. And I think when it comes to some of this stuff with these headlines, with investing, uh, you know, trying to override your system one and let your system two do a little more work can be really beneficial. Actually think through this. All right. What does this mean for me? what is this? Is this headline accurate? You know, can I find contradictory evidence? Is there more information that's not included here? Now, more information doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial for you. Um, but, but trying to just not quickly jump to conclusions and then make knee jerk reactions about that. And, you know, we've got a few examples here as well that we can walk through.
0: Yeah, there's a few other examples, I think, somewhat related to the Social Security example. Is examples about people's private pensions. Like, if you've been with an employer for a long time and you're not really happy with how union negotiations have gone the last few years, and you might make some assumptions about what that pension looks like long term for you when you retire. Um, and so, you know, I've had clients be like, hey, I don't I don't want to take the, the pension dollar amount. I don't want to take the monthly benefit. I'd prefer to just take the lump sum up front because I don't want them to have any of my money. Like I just I want it to be within my control. And that that can make sense. But I think it also makes sense to look at that more closely, you know, see if they can even make changes for the plan for people who are already retired or if it would only be for new people that are employed still so there's there's a lot more nuance with like most issues with most issues it's not it's not always going to be a straightforward answer um, another one that's come up a lot and i think cory you mentioned this a little bit at the beginning is just proposed tax law changes so you know there's a lot of marketing and branding that goes into like you know writing about tax law changes so a a lot of the the 2017 tax code changes were kind of branded as being better and like reducing people's taxes and you know these new tax law changes are mostly having the the reputation that they're going to tax higher income at a much higher level and it's going to be really burdensome for people who make more money um and i think First and foremost, everything is in draft form right now. We have no idea what the final is going to actually look like. So I would encourage people to just wait to feel like it's really going to impact them or to start making dramatic changes to how they're approaching financing and retirement savings and all of that kind of stuff. So wait a little bit, figure out what it's actually going to look like. And then I think there's a couple of things that people have kind of focused on. One of them is that, Roth conversions are potentially going to be going away. And that was one proposal. Um, And that refers to like, you know, backdoor Roth conversion plans. It refers to like larger conversions of pre-tax money from like an old retirement plan, even doing conversions inside of 401ks, which you can sometimes do. It was all of that kind of stuff. And there were lots of people that were assuming, including myself, that, hey, maybe next year we're not going to be able to do this anymore. When in reality, even the proposed checks changes were, were looking at probably phasing that in over a period of time. It's not like, you know, tomorrow this is dramatically different. Most of the time that's not how those changes work. Sometimes they do. Absolutely. So, you know, take it slow as far as like what's actually happening and then when you do figure out what's happening don't assume it's happening tomorrow it could be that it, it's you know going to be 10 years from now or something like that
1: yeah absolutely well and on that note like there are some scenarios where we're proactively reacting to a headline to could potentially benefit you like in the roth conversion example all right if you think there's a chance roth conversions could go away in 2022 and i won't be able to do that anymore there's there's no harm in funding your ira now and converting it to the roth before the end of the year rather than waiting until the tax deadline Um, you know so that's something that that could benefit you Um, but but you know just uh, i think kind of going back to the overall theme like the, the whole point is it's not set in stone if it you know once the new tax law does come into play then it might be like you said rochelle either phased in over time or maybe capped at certain income levels like the the whole backdoor roth didn't really exist before 2010 because roth conversions prior to that were capped at a hundred thousand dollars of income so if you earned over a hundred thousand you couldn't do a roth conversion if you earned under that you just contribute directly to a roth ira so there's like really no like that the backdoor Roth didn't no have no reason purpose at all. But then in twenty ten that income restriction lifted, which is why it's a head scratcher that all right, people cannot contribute directly to Roth IRAs, but they can still do the backdoor Roth. Like doesn't make any sense at all, but whatever. Talk to Congress. They make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so but I think, you know, one kind of going back to the headlines and the marketing of it all, you know, our previous president, President Trump, you know, his big Was it the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act? Whatever. The the Trump tax plan, we'll just nickname it, you know, was promoted as, oh, we're going to cut taxes for everyone. Everyone's going to pay less in taxes, yada, yada, yada. Um, You know, in reality, if you earned a high income, which a lot of doctors do, and you lived in a state with high income taxes, which many of you do, and you had a mortgage balance that's, you know, a decent size, which a lot of doctors have. Your taxes likely increased as a result because of the salt deduction cap. You, know, you, you previously you could, if you itemize your deductions, you could fully deduct your state and local taxes um, from your, uh, what you call it, federal taxes. Uh, but then that got capped at ten thousand. So many of you are paying more than ten thousand in state income taxes and, and local taxes and. You know, if you're only able to deduct ten thousand of that from your federal taxes, maybe previously you were getting like a forty or fifty thousand deduction, and now it's only ten thousand. You know, that's going to adversely impact your taxes. So this is where, not just looking at the headlines, but actually reading through to see how does this actually affect me individually. You know, forget about the masses. Be selfish. How does this affect you as a as an individual? And uh, you know, are there any actions that you could or should take? Um, to benefit from this new information you know
0: absolutely and with proposed tax increases i think you know how much you could potentially pay above what your previous tax rate is totally depends it depends on your income level it depends on where you live like all of that kind of stuff so you know if we I think that you had an example in the blog post, Corey, of someone making $400,000 a year. If you have that like top income tax bracket moving from 35% or 37% to 39.6%, you know, in reality it's maybe $6,000 in taxes a year just as like rough math. And, and that's not nothing. That's absolutely something that you're paying that you weren't paying before, but it's also not a dramatic impact to your financial picture. It's, it's, fairly minimal so it's not that it doesn't matter it's just that if you can avoid being overly emotional about it and getting upset about things that you can't control like that's probably going to benefit you in the long term like you can make more reasoned decisions when you're not reacting emotionally
1: for sure i think yeah the Taxes are going to change. Laws are going to change. The world's going to change. You know, those of you who are a little older, you've lived through numerous tax environments and presidencies, economic whatever's wars, terrorist attacks. And, you know, for many of you, some of this big picture macro stuff, sure, it might have a small impact on you, but not really? Like, you know, if you look at how is this material gonna, materially going to change and affect my life, probably not a whole lot. I think I remember playing golf with a guy, oh, this was a few years ago, and it was like during a, during the election year. I forget if it was the last one. Anyways, so he's like, you know, I was talking with a buddy, and uh, we were at a bar having a beer, and, you know, we were saying, regardless of who wins... We're still going to be at this bar drinking cold beer. So <laughs> it doesn't really make a big difference in our lives. <laughs> it's like, yeah. The, there I you love go. that. Yeah. It's not like yeah. they're going to take beer away, hopefully. They tried it in the past, <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> but
0: and one thing about that like not to get like too political or anything but the truth is is that local politics actually affect people individually much more than federal politics like at the state level like laws and things like that a lot of that is controlled more locally and like federal administration changes and things like that sure they can change stuff like taxes but a, a lot of stuff is, is more affected by that local stuff. So And, you know, local tax levies and all of that kind of stuff that can actually have a, a bigger impact on your overall finances. So, you know, not saying pay too much attention to that either. or Headlines are there. But those are the things that don't make headlines. And it probably makes some sense to pay attention to that.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, even that, like, can you think, Rochelle, think back, like, what have there been any local... Or national changes that have, like, drastically affected your life and the way you live your life? Like, I can't really think. Yeah. Okay. Like, can you?
0: No, 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 no. No, I, what I was going to say is I, I totally agree with you. But I think that there are things that can, like, I think that I come there from a, a a place of privilege like honestly i think there are other people that are probably affected more than for me sure. by things that happen at the local level so you know i'm fairly insulated i'm i'm doing okay but <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: but most of the people yeah. on this podcast are probably in a similar position you're not dependent on that's social true. services or government, that's totally true you know, support so but yeah so that you know to that point yeah you know for the people who are more dependent on government for their well-being you yeah, know that can have a bigger impact but um but yeah i mean i'm you know just off the top I, I i yeah the only thing i can yeah i can't really think of any good examples that have like drastically impacted me specifically um so i still live the same life for the most part knock on wood hopefully it's, it stays all right um let's see one other attention Common attention-grabbing headline we wanted to talk about was stock market headlines. What do you got here, Ooh. Rochelle?
0: <laughs> oh gosh! I mean, obviously that one is something that grabs everyone attention, like everyone's attention, if you have invested assets. Or if you work as a financial advisor. (laughs) Like, I mean, this is something we're paying attention to all the time. Absolutely. And I think that when we think about headlines in the stock market, a lot of times we think about those big dips. Like, you know, when March 2020 happened and April 2020 happened and the stock market was just dramatically dropping and it was crazy. And those were some big headlines. But the other headline that we often see is that You know, the stock market is trading at all-time highs. And we hear that a lot because in reality, the market hits all-time highs pretty regularly. Like if, especially if we're in a bull market, it's like once every two weeks or so on average for the last five to ten years, which has been a fairly good time period for the stock market, the market has been trading at all-time highs. And we do have some clients who are concerned about that. You know, they don't want to be pumping a ton of money into the market when it's trading at all time highs because there is the perception that once you hit a high, you have to come back down from that and that there's not really anywhere to go but down, which is not the reality at all. Like, you can continue to go upward. And so when we have clients that come to us and and maybe they want to keep extra money in cash, they just want to feel more insulated or they want to cash out their investments and and just kind of sit on things for a little while because they're concerned that there's going to be a correction. And that can lead to you missing a lot of that upside potential. So sure, we're trading at all-time highs, but if we're trading at all-time highs again in two weeks and you're just sitting on money, you missed that two-week period of time. If you're doing that for longer than that, you know for years because you're waiting for a correction that can have a dramatic impact on your investments and on your long-term financial plan so definitely something that we want to be aware of and not not be overly concerned about when it comes to headlines
1: for sure yeah i mean you look at the last hundred years one out of 20 trading days is an all-time high so basically once a month on average it's been more common in the last five to ten years but three out of four years, stock market ends the year higher than it started. So that means we're going to see all-time highs pretty regularly. It's, shh, I don't, I mean, I guess the news can sensationalize it and try and again, inflict that fear emotion to get us to pay attention. Is the stock market in a bubble? Do we need to sell? Oh, I better watch this special report or read this article. Um, but no, this this is normal. Like market's going to be at all-time highs frequently. You know, even if we go back to, you know, the probably the biggest crash ever in, in modern history, the Great Depression that followed the 1929 stock market crash. Um, you know, if you just looked at the headlines, you would see oh, the Dow took 25 years after that crash to get back to its previous 1929 high. It didn't get to its previous high until the 1950s. So 25 years before it recovered. Well, that's actually pretty misleading uh, I'm sure the index itself took 25 years to get back to its pre peak however it the index doesn't include dividend reinvestments and if you left your money invested and let the dividends reinvest which most of you do i don't know anyone who collects their dividends and has a check sent to them for To cover living expenses like everyone just reinvests their dividends it's pretty much automatic it's like the default i don't even know if a lot of you on the line even realize you could elect to receive your (laughs) dividends in cash versus reinvest or even know what a dividend is for that matter um so basically you know i guess on that note dividend 101 companies Distribute profits to owners in the form of dividends with publicly traded companies. So, if you own a stock, you own a publicly traded company. They could either decide to reinvest their profits or distribute their profits to owners in the form of a dividend, which you know a number of companies distribute a portion of their profits as dividends. So, you know, for example, if you own a stock that's hundred dollars a share, and the company pays a two percent dividend per year, every year they're gonna send you two dollars in the form of a dividend. And odds are you just automatically have that $2 reinvested to buy more shares of the stock. So reinvested dividends will increase the quantity of shares that you own over time. So if you included the dividends reinvested, the Dow only took a decade to get back to its previous high. So biggest stock market crash ever. It took only 10 years to recover, Now, that's just the Dow, which only tracks 30 stocks. It might have been 25 back then. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a very, you know, very finite number of companies. If you actually invested in the broader stock market, like these didn't exist back then, but just a total stock market index, for example, and owned all of the companies in the stock market, with dividends reinvested, it would have only taken about five years to get back to your previous peak. So, I mean, that goes right along the lines of what we tell people all the time. If you need your money in under five years, you have no business being in the stock market. You know, the stock market should be your long-term investment. So if we're looking at history, biggest crash ever in modern history, only took five years to recover your losses, like, we're good, you know, stay invested. Obviously, no guarantees moving forward. Like, sure, the stock market could go to zero and we find ourselves trading sticks for stones but if that's the case money you know we have bigger problems to worry about than where our money's at so um yeah i think we can more or less ignore the headlines about is the stock market at an all-time high one if you need the money soon it shouldn't be near the stock market so non-issue for those people um two odds are it's going to be at another all-time high next month and the month after that and you know on average, you're going to see numerous all-time highs every single year. So it's, you know, you can ignore those headlines more or less.
0: Mm -hmm. And keep in mind when you are trying to react to those things and time things and all that kind of stuff, like – you are making those decisions as one single investor who has a limited amount of knowledge about what's actually happening in the stock market. And the people that are trading that are not you and other retail investors are large institutions, banks, mutual funds, people who have all sorts of additional information and also probably have some sort of controls so that they don't react too emotionally to headlines and things like that. So, you know, keep in mind that it it can be really hard to win making those kinds of decisions. So a better strategy is just to, to come up with something that works for you long term and stick with it and ignore headlines.
1: Well, and on that note, um, oh, shoot, brain fart, just lost what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> Ooh, we're going to edit out the brain fart, everyone.
1: There we go. <laughs> no, it's, uh, oh, man, the... Uh, I had a really good point I was going to make, but now
0: I'm not going to make it anymore. That's all right. I think that we have covered this. (laughs) In short, I think it it just generally makes sense to be careful when your brain does that thing. I think it's like your amygdala. They talk about how that's like the – part one that you were talking about earlier where you know you jump to conclusions system one you try to make decisions quickly but quickly is not always the best way to be making decisions a lot of times it makes sense to slow down do some number crunching when it comes to money and finances and and make sure that you really fully understand what those headlines are talking about before you jump to any conclusions and, and especially before you make any big changes
1: Absolutely. So hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks.
0: Thanks everyone. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP Instagram at Corey Janoff or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram Vanderzanin Van Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vandersanen. Van
1: Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our finity group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.